Welcome to the Maple Syrup Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're on episode 71, I can't believe it, and the episode of Biblical Proportions going down tonight. Yes, very excited. We're going to touch the untouchable topics. That's right. We're talking about design and also religion. Uh, what, do, what do you say to that, son? I don't know how you suckered me into this one, but okay. I know. I'm just kidding. This, is, this, <laughs> I'm totally to- this is totally Sen, Sen let me do get away with one. And, uh, yeah, to, to call this a, a vanity theme really isn't, isn't it's not really a vanity, it's just something that Daryl's very interested in on a personal and professional basis and a level. So <clears throat> we're, we're, this isn't, you know, something out of the ordinary for us to talk about. We just never really talk about it on air. So yeah. we're going to give it some time. Uh, and I think it's time that's well-deserved in terms of why does why is this something? It's kind of funny um, because Daryl and I first met in London. Yeah. And I don't I don't know, Daryl, did we meet actually through Jeff? or I, I feel like if we... I don't think we initially met through Jeff, but very quickly... We realized we shared this connection through Jeff. Yeah, and and just um, the amount of people in my life and in Daryl's life who are either in ministry or heavily connected with their their church, who are also into games or game design, it's it's quite a an amazing amount of people, and so. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. But before yeah. we get there, Daryl, what have you been? I know what you've been doing uh, in relation to a very certain Kickstarter that launched today. Yeah, very exciting Kickstarter from IDW, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, they're trying to raise on their first day um, a quarter of a million dollars. That's, and that's in U.S. Of course, U.S. And I, when they had told me that, I thought, wow, I'm super excited. But that's that's a pretty ridiculous. Um, target and they're actually getting pretty close. I think they're over 220. And so all day I've been cutting out and chatting with Kevin for updated uh, cards and stuff because uh, a few friends of mine we're one of the official playtest groups, and so we're working through all the scenarios uh, before they go public with them, making sure that they have lots of uh, you know tests because they don't want them to just you know be out there in the public and not fully developed. So uh, they're yeah, that so doesn't far, sound right. Which is <laughs> that sounds bad. Uh, Don't put a partly developed things. Exactly. So, I mean, Kevin has developed these things a few times, but he wants to make sure that external groups, you know, really put it through the ringer. And so far, I mean, I'm loving what I'm seeing, and uh, it's really fun. It has a really unique uh, dice mechanic where you work together. It's a one versus many kind of game where one takes on, you know, the role of Shredder and, you know, the Foot Clan and all that, and then the rest take on the roles of the Turtles. So you can play... um, up to five players, you know, four people taking on the turtles. There's allies you can get and, and such. But the coolest thing is, as the turtles, um, it it alternates, you know, good versus bad, but the good doesn't actually have to go in a, in a specific order. You just have to have even amount of turns. And so you strategically decide, like, which turtle has to jump in at which point. And then the cool mechanic with the dice is the way you roll and assemble your dice, your outside dice, because you're fighting together can be shared amongst your teammates. So it's kind of like, as I'm fighting, I'm fighting beside, and so, you know, like, all those cool, like, 
Right, okay, so your combos can be... Comboing each other. So if I'm left of Donatello... Exactly. Donatello can can use his one outside attack die or his one defensive shell or something. And so uh, I I think it's a really neat twist on dice. People that are familiar with, like, say, Dice Masters will get, like, the different sides of dice and having, you know, custom dice to custom characters. People that, like, you know, scenario-based and storytelling... The cool thing is you're walking through a comic and you're going to have different scenarios come up, different battles that you have to work through, um, and then different bosses, and uh, it's cool. So. Okay, so I just want to ask you, Just I mean, we talk about IP a lot in this show uh, because we happen to work a lot in IP stuff, <clears throat> and I'm reading a lot of the forums, and I, I just want to, like, uh, press a button and say that's not what's happening. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of accusation of cash grab and oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah, and, you know, this is not going to be a good game. And yeah. I just want to tell them, you know, look at Kevin's design credentials and you can... I you know. Can, you know. Don't judge. Uh, but, I mean, and just oh, all IP games are bad. No. I hear you. I Yeah, I got to jump on that. It's funny because everyone seems to, you know, go to the worst example. And I'm not going to point out worst examples because, you know what, a lot of those well, worst there's examples... There's a lot of them too, right? So. Well, there's a lot of them, but there's also a lot of them that a lot of people are happy with them, but there's a few very vocal people against them. Mm-hmm. But my thing with Kevin is, and and I don't know why he doesn't get the same cred as Eric Lang. Like yeah, Kevin and I Eric, think it's possibly personality. It's so funny, but the two of them have designed so many games together, and everyone assumes right away when Eric makes a game, it's going to be incredible, which usually they are. He is an incredible designer. But why not... Like, sometimes I don't understand why the general public doesn't give Kevin the same credit. And it's like, the guy's been with Fantasy Flight, he's made tons of big hits, like... Mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I, it, it could possibly be related to the fact that Kevin isn't a rock star. It's true, it's true. Kevin is not uh, by any means. He's the guy that I meet with and quietly he mentors and comes alongside designers. He looks for new and up-and-comers and sees how he can, can encourage them, but he's always behind the scenes. With, yeah, you know, Kevin's right... uh, he's a very quiet and thoughtful guy. Very thoughtful. Uh, and uh, just, I mean, Eric is thoughtful as well. He's sure, just quiet. <laughs> different personalities. Different Eric is not quiet. Style. Yep. Absolutely. So that, that's been one you know big thing that I've been doing. And then obviously working on prototypes. I, just, I literally just finally got printed out my Seven Summits climbing card game printed out. So I'm excited oh, yeah. about that. The climbing, climbing card game. Climbing, climbing card game. Um, and another big news that just got um, you know official this week is I'm going to the New York Toy Fair. Yay, with so, CSE. Yeah, with CSE, so that's next week. So that's for me, like, kind of a a bunch of big gaming things that I'll be doing. How about yourself? Oh, uh, before we go there, I just wanted to say congratulations to Zev, our friend Zev from X of Z-Man. Zev Slashinger is taking a role, I'm not sure in what capacity, because I didn't ask him yet, with... uh, uh, I want to say Heroclix, but that's wrong. It's Wizkids. Yeah, Yeah, and that's that's great, because, um, you know, they've got some decent product that he can hopefully bring more um, tabletop type gaming yeah. to their their arsenal of already interesting stuff. So I'm very intrigued to see that combination because Zev doesn't. I I can't think of a, a game that he had you know Hero Clicks or something like that. But the bridging of those worlds and potential. I mean, 
That's, it yeah, seems pretty yeah. cool. And some licenses that they've had relationships with that Zeph will be able to leverage. I think it's going to be a pretty cool combo. Yeah, it should be really great. And so that that's a, a nice uh, thing there. Um, from what we've been doing lately, like I was talking to our guests who will meet in, in very short time about uh, pruning, 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 pruning. So there's a lot of pruning that has to go on when you get games out there in the wild. And so we've been spending uh, a little bit of time doing interviews for Orphan Black, um, another IDW product. And we've spent the last couple of days really hammering uh, two games home in terms of the rule design, the graphic design, and getting the final preparations ready for hitting that big old print button uh, for junk art coming from Pretzel Games, Gen uh, Con release. Amazing. Thank you. Um, and that credit to all the art and design that comes out of uh, Philosophia Pretzel Games. Z-Man. Uh, and then I'm pretty sure Chris did it. I don't know yet. He'll, he'll have to let me know. Yeah, I and think then, he did. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. It looks Chrissy. Um, and speaking of Chris art, if you haven't seen uh, the Ravens one, did you see the cover for that? Yeah, I was all over that. That I, thing's awesome. That screams Chris. Like, that's and um, it, the, their two-player line is going to be ridiculous. Ridiculous, and I, I'm obviously biased because we're part of it, but they've got some great two-player games, um, and we'll see. Like, I mean, St Andy's uh, <coughs> Andy's game, Targi, our game, uh, Uve's game, and then you know, new ones coming out that are just gonna blow your mind. And you know, I think there's a lot of really good product that they're gonna have in their two-player lineup. Oh. And then the other game that we're working on is um, we got our friend Ron the art deal for another game from IDW with uh, Godfather. So we're working heavily on packaging that up in time for a release maybe in the summer. So probably a little before, probably before Gen Con, maybe I don't know. Origins, maybe Gen Con. Yeah, maybe Origins, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we, our goal is like 11 day. we have an 11 day from now goal. Nice. We'll see if we meet that. <laughs> good. That's Should good. be doable. Um, but other than that, you know, um, Jesse and I are making a solo game just because we kind of got it in our head that, hey, a solo game would be kind of fun. Uh, and that got put in my head by Evan, Derek, of course, uh, with Van Ryder and, and their nice mm -hmm. little line of games that play with really few players, like Hostage Negotiator. Yeah. Uh, very cool game. And then we're also working on some other stuff that just kind of comes out of our head, and um, we end up liking. So I think Thursday we're putting powers for J&I through its paces, and we, we have to do some scenario stuff for Outlanders, for Toy Vault, um, and then our own stuff that doesn't have a publisher yet that we're just going to kind of get going. And Jay and I have been working pretty hard on a couple other things uh, that don't have publishers yet, but someday hopefully will. Oh, um, so you say you have one more thing to mention? Go ahead, before we bring our guests Oh, in. yes. I forgot. Uh, very exciting news. Uh, both uh, Adrian and I, we have a Singrata, our, our dice, uh, our stained glass dice game, officially is now signed. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. I knew you had mentioned something, but where yeah. is it signed? So it's signed with Floodgate Games. We're really excited. Oh, cool. And so... Yeah, that all just uh, went down this week. After right after he raced back from PAX, 
okay. then we we signed all the paperwork and that's all official now. So very nice. Uh, that that's been a, a long time coming in terms of of getting somebody to to bite on that one. It's a great game. It's really interesting and it's you know it's it actually one to, of my favorite games that I've been part of designing and. Uh, it reminds me a lot, and I say this in respect of Blueprints. It plays very different uh, in ways as well, but um, it I was you know, one of the first people to get to see Blueprints when Eve originally came up with the idea and played it with him, I feel like, four or five times in a row at Cardstockawa. Every time mm-hmm. it came out, I was like, I want to be part of this, and uh, I got to play it a lot in its early inception and saw it basically its entire development. <laughs> so, the, so just so you guys know, Daryl's game is a flat version of that. <laughs> yeah, so, so instead of building up, you're building dice in a way of making stained glass dice. And uh, yeah, I'm really pumped about it. I'm looking forward to see what art direction Ben will go with it. But. Well, speaking of that, I think Beth Sobel has just expressed inc- interest in the game hey, on, oh, on the... The That'd YouTube feed. <laughs> so ben, maybe you should point Ben, point ben in, in her direction. Yeah. No, no, you, oh. you talk to Ben. And hey, say, I, will, hey. I will very quickly suggest Beth for sure. I know there's a, a very good artist who uh, might be interested in doing art. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I will happily, happily, happily have a game that features Beth's art. She's making some great, great covers and great art for games. Great. So let's let's invite our guests into the show because that's what you guys came here for, not to, Ooh, to look at us. Yes. So um, with us today are Phil Dubari, and I'm going to bring you on. Phil, there you are. Hello, Phil. How are you? And Patrick, Patrick. Lysight. Eyesight, which rhymes with eyesight, but is not spelled like that at all. With that at Patrick. All. Aren't you amazed that I said it right, Sam? I am. I'm uh, amazed. And it's only because Patrick, Patrick taught you. Yeah, <laughs> so Patrick Lysight of Cara Games, and we have Philip Dubari of Fantasio Games um, here with us tonight. So Daryl, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, I'm going to kick us off because, I mean, this was a little bit of my brainchild. Uh, I'm a big fan of a variety of folks' uh, games, and we've had him on the show before, and I've, uh, you know, raved about how I love all his designs, and I look forward to hearing what uh, new designs and and such he has coming up that we can maybe pick his brain about as well. And then I actually got connected to Patrick through a few people. Once, actually, we mentioned during the intro, Jeff, uh, a mutual friend of Sen and I, um, played, uh, I think he played it at Origins? Were you at Origins, Patrick, a couple of years ago? Yeah, 2014, I yeah. had it there. So, so Jeff played it at Origins, and right away, I think actually while he was at Origins, he contacted me and said, dude, you got to play this, this is awesome. You know, there's this great game that also happens to be a Christian theme, and uh, uh, both of us being Christians, we thought, oh, that's that's really neat, because sometimes there are Christian games, but they're not actually necessarily great games. They're just themed on something that uh, is, you know, maybe a biblical topic. And so I was really excited to hear about it and try it. So that was how I first heard about it, and then um, at BGGCon... Um, I finally got to see and play the game, and I loved it, and I said, like, I would love to show some people around in Canada, and so snagged a copy from J.R. Honeycutt and have been showing it around to people that I know in my neck of the woods, um, getting people to try it out, because it's this great co-op game uh, that pe- actually addresses the, the alpha gamer, which I, we're, we'll have to talk about, um, 
but uh, is also just in general just this really interesting, challenging co-op game with scenarios, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, in detail, but that's kind of my introduction to Patrick, and I thought, well, why don't we get a couple designers on who happen to design, you know, these games that have a, a faith topic to them, and talk about that as a, as a theme, but also talk about um, the idea of does, how do you handle, you know, religion and faith when it comes to design? Does that influence, does that inform you as a designer, and I think this is a really interesting topic that hopefully won't be too controversial, but actually just open up the communication lines, and we can learn from each other. So, uh, with that said, Sen, do you want to ask our ask your first question? No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'll ask the first question because I, we started talking about it um, before we went on air, and I said, no, 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 let's talk about that on air because it's a much better thing um, exactly. to bring on air. So Phil, Philip Dubari, mm -hmm. is one of, you're actually one of the very first designers, uh, you know, other designers that I actually interacted with on the internet, um, and that was a long time ago, <laughs> and it was, it was mostly because of uh, your game, Kingdom of Solomon, and Again, Jeff, who uh, Daryl just mentioned, had a copy of it to play test for Minion Games, I believe. And Jeff had brought it out, and Daryl and I got to play it a couple times, and that's really when we started to think about, you know, talking to other designers and meeting up with people and whatnot. So you're kind of a catalyst for us, for me particularly, in terms of, you know, reaching out to other designers and just telling them how much I like their games and whatnot. Uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for being part of, part of my designer journey. But you said that you're revamping that. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's true. Well, um, as, as happy as I was with uh, Kingdom of Solomon and... Um, and minion games and all, and uh, we were one of the first uh, games to be on Kickstarter, not the first, but you know, in that first wave back in 2011, and uh, so that was kind of an exciting thing. I think we raised $10,000, which was double our goal, and we were real excited about that. Um, and then the, the reviews came in, and they were all very good and everything, And um, but commercially, it hasn't really done very well, but you know, it's one of those, you know, critically acclaimed, but not very uh, successful commercially, but um, and so um, I guess um, a few months ago I got the idea in my head. You know, it would be neat to go back and kind of change a few things here and there about that game. And now, you know, having you know come forward in the hobby so much, and you know the different developments and all, and so I thought of several different designs. I sort of uh, pitched that to James at Minion Games, and he's like, well. I'm not really interested in doing more of that, so you can just sort of have it back and you know see see what you can do with it. And so so it's pretty much my my thing again, and uh, I'm looking into maybe revamping some things, and I'm trying to decide if I you know how much to do, and uh, because I've kind of thrown in a bunch of wild stuff just to see what you know makes sense and doesn't make sense, but I'm kind of at the beginning stage of it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I just I'll follow up with that. I mean, what are some of the as a designer, and as a designer, you know, looking back on one of your designs, what are some of the things that you started to play with? Like, what were some of the variables or things that you wanted to add to that game for anyone that's familiar with it? Sure. Um, well, um, you know, of course, the, the basic idea is it's a worker placement game. So you're you're uh, the, I got the inspiration for the game from Kalis, basically, 
because um, that's the first worker placement game I ever played. And um, I thought, well, I could make something like this. And so I, it took a long time to kind of get to something that sort of made sense. Um, and so, so obviously that's going to stay the same. Um, and uh, all, all the uh, connecting the re regions together and uh, getting extra, that's all going to stay the same. Uh, but different, different sort of thing. Um, I guess I've... Uh, I wanted to sort of make it a little bit better for a uh, better scaling for different players. So I've got kind of this this uh, whole thing of um, where some of the some of the regions were shut off each time, um, and so kind of incorporating that. Um, I've got where you can have multiple um, people claim each region instead of just one person. So that's kind of an interesting thing, um, and um, I just. Uh, and one of the, I guess one of the biggest things I did was I wanted to have everything, instead of being in, in stages, you know, this part, and then take them off, and then collect your stuff, I just wanted it to be a continual sort of flow of action. So you just kind of, you, you, uh, you there's no separate build thing or, or everything. It all kind of happens. You can, those are just options that you can do. So if you want to build something, you just have to go on the build thing. Yeah. And, then, then, and then after everybody's put their stuff on, you get it back, because I still have that kind of... Uh, bonus space where whoever gets on there first will get it and somebody will get left out of one of the good things but um, but yeah that's kind of kind of the idea awesome yeah well and and so uh, Philip you mentioned that Kalis was a an inspiration and influence an amazing game designed by William Atia mm -hmm. and uh, I'm curious uh, Patrick was was your game influenced by pandemic or was there another game or games that influenced you and maybe give us a little snapshot of why and where your game was birthed. Oh, and you just have to unmute yourself. Bam. Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were uh, influenced uh, by Pandemic. Uh, my wife and I were playing it, uh, at, you know, very early in our design process, and we we're thinking, oh, you know, this is a great way to bring people together. It's kind of our first co-op kind of experience, and so uh, we initially kind of started with an idea framed around reversing that game and exploring the effects of it, but uh, I, I hesitate to just say that it's pandemic in reverse because that really kind of discounts half of what's going on in the game. Uh, so we, we, we say, you know, when we're talking to board gamers, we say, you know, it's, it's like pandemic reversed mixed with Dominion on a very basic level, and so uh, we wanted to make sure that all the players are involved in making their own decisions, which is kind of hard to do in the framework of a co-op. And so we work very hard mechanically to get to the point where you're involved the entire game, you're always making your decisions, and one person can't run the game for the entire group. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's let's wrap this all into our theme now that we know what your what your games are and what, what some of your games are, anyways. Um, how does your faith in you know whatever religion you belong to um, inform your game design, if at all? What do you think? Uh, we'll start with Patrick. Sure. So uh, my wife and I are Christians. Uh, obviously, that, that's the the game subject that our game commission covers, and our subsequent games are going to deal with as well. Uh, so we have two very important thoughts when it when it comes to creating. Uh, you know, games that deal with faith. Uh, first, we think that it's very important when you're creating a game like this that 
uh, especially because when you deal with uh, religious subjects, people get very touchy. So in terms of designing, it's very important to make sure that you're not pigeonholing or telling a player how to think. You have to create a design or decision space within the game that allows players to explore the subject and, and from, come from whatever background they are and have a, an interesting play experience. Maybe they learn something about it uh, in a non-threatening way. Maybe, maybe they don't, but they just have fun playing the game. And so it's very important first to create that, you know, the system space for the player to explore. And then second, just because it's a religious game doesn't mean it should get accelerated to press to fill a hole in the market. I mean, you've got to go through the same, you know, rigorous design playtesting process that everybody has to go through for any game. If it's a game that's not worth playing, no one's going to buy it, no one's going to play it. And I think that's where a lot of religious games have gone in the past is they've just tried to rush something to market to fill a hole in the theme and, and they haven't haven't done as well as they deserve with a couple notable exceptions you know like Kingdom of Solomon or Kings of Israel is another one that gets consistently uh, good uh, critical review but there's a lot of games that are just garbage and so it's kinda of created a stereotype uh, within the market that's interesting because before uh, Daryl and I were always also talking about IP-related things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which for some, you know, secular people might actually be a religion um, of sorts, and the same the same sort of bias gets levied against those types of games, which means that they have a a, a hook to them that is an appeal to a broad audience. Um, when you are designing, this question is for you, Philip. When you're designing using faith as a theme, are you hoping to get new gamers into the hobby that are from the faith, or are you hoping to influence gamers that aren't in the faith to think about, you know, religion and faith? What do you think? Right. Well, um, I guess I sort of uh, come at it a, a little bit differently. I, I don't think the, the objective that I was going for is... Um, you know, necessarily evangelism, um, but on the other hand, I mean, I wanted to be true to the, you know, the historical account that I was dealing with. Um, like, uh, but, uh, Fran Francis Schaeffer talked about not, you know, just sort of self-consciously going after some sort of uh, putting yourself out there saying, oh, trying to, I guess, convert people with with your art, and I, I really see game design as as an art form. I think that's that's important. It's a it's a creative act, and um, and it sort of echoes you know what God's God's uh, invested His creativity in us by creating us, and I, I think that's pleasing to God when we when we do that. And so it's kind of an indirect sort of way that uh, you know mainly the bottom line answer is I'm just trying to make. A really good game because I believe just the fact of making something that's that's quality, something that's beautiful, is a uh, is something that's pleasing to God, and uh, you know it can um, I guess mirror his his beauty. And um, but then with when you're dealing specifically with a uh, a religious type um, you know game, then that of course has to be true as well. I mean, it still has to be a really good game. And I think really that was the the most important part of it, that and sort of uh, you know being true to the uh, this to the the history of it. Great, thank you.
Oh, great stuff, great stuff. I love uh, I love what you're talking about there, Phil, uh, with especially this idea of co-creators or, or coming alongside and kind of emulating, using your creative side. And uh, I, it was, it's funny you should mention that because actually just my, my church this last Sunday talked about uh, the topic was fantasies and, like, the idea of, like, you know, the the whole world of like fantasy worlds and and uh, we talked and looked at things like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Uh-huh. Tolkien and these great you know writers that created art that was appreciated by everyone um, and really you know a lot of people um, uh, find you know hope and 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 positive messages through that but also um, people of faith you know can connect through that because they were using that. Uh, just being themselves, you know, cre- writing things that they found were true, and so uh, I really well. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about uh, fantasy and all as as being kind of echoes of the one true myth. He says the one true story, which is about Jesus, and so that's that's the what he, what he saw that, and I agree with him that uh, you know you see echoes of this when you read Lord of the Rings and things like that it's like I know this story is you know it sort of tickles the back of your mind and there's a reason for that is because that's been implanted in us I believe absolutely absolutely I, I have a I have a couple questions from the audience and I'm loving uh, these questions that are coming so I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce one off of each of you and uh, just to encourage please keep these great questions coming I'm gonna go to Patrick first and uh, it's a loaded question. Uh, I'll throw it right out there right away because there's a couple Bible verses even in this question, which is great. So I'm going to read them uh, just to give context for anyone who wouldn't happen to have know these things. But uh, Sir Bob Games asked, based on Deuteronomy 18:10 and Micah 5:12, how do you think this affects games you play and you design? And I'm going to read the verses. Um, Deuteronomy 18.10 says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices sorcery or divination, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft. And then Micah 5.12 says, I will destroy your witchcraft, and you will no longer cast spells. Now, okay, these are very specific verses, and there's a lot of context, and so there's a lot going on to just throw, you know, Tell me everything you know about these verses on the spot, because that that's a a lot of context. But I think there's a a, a question there uh, that I think is really uh, at the core is you know these things like certain themes like witchcraft and omens. Um, you as uh, uh, with a faith uh, and in Christianity, does that affect your comfortability with certain subject matters? Um, would you design games like that? That you know what. Where are some maybe lines for you as a designer? Is there is there some topics that you wouldn't broach or um, yeah, I'll throw it back to you, Patrick. That, that's a that's a great question, and and surprisingly, stuff like this comes up quite often. Actually, when when we're at conventions, people will will talk us, and and really, all I can speak to is my personal view. So I wouldn't want to impose that on anyone, but just for for me personally. Uh, I hate to categorically dismiss uh, a, a theme or a, a subject matter in and of itself. I mean, for, for me, there are some uh, personal lines that I'll draw as far as the the content of art for a game or uh, you know subject matter, and that's more out of the fact that I like you know I I make games and. Uh, and I play games with my family, and so I don't necessarily want to put my kids 
in the path of what is in some of those games. Um, and, and that's not a, a condemnation of those games per se. It's just a personal boundary that, that we've drawn uh, for our family. And other people can draw that line where they want to. You know, I would call that a, a freedom issue um, within the faith. I think there are, there are there, I think there's a line that exists in gaming between uh, exploring a subject and altering your own personal life habits. And right. I think that the point where you start to cross that line is the point where you probably, uh, from a Christian standpoint, are maybe exposing yourself to some danger. Awesome. Great stuff. Uh, th- thank you, Patrick, for taking such a kind of very loaded question there, but we really appreciate uh, the questions coming. I got another one here for Philip. Uh, this one's from Beth Sobel. Um, and she's curious about board gaming, and from your perspective, do you see that it's more common, a more common hobby in religious communities? And maybe where have you seen that? As speaking to uh, uh, what more uh, more board gaming in religious societies than not, or yeah, I'm not sure I understand. Seeing that uh, either uh, playing game board games is you know common or popular as a hobby. And maybe even designing. Do you see that there's? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think, there? I think uh, you know, as you mentioned before, there, there are we know a lot of uh, Christian uh, designer people involved in ministry and other things that, that are also very big into games and designing and things like that. So I, I think there is some crossover certainly, and um, most of those people that I know, um, you know, play games with their youth groups and church activities and things like that, and uh, that's certainly the case for. A lot of the folks around where I am. Um, so I mean, it's. I mean, it's. It's. I think it. Uh, it works with. Um, in that sort of context, just because it's a social thing, and uh, you know, church is all about social connections, and games just facilitate that. Interesting, Philip. Let's uh, let's talk about something else that uh, sort of combines uh, religion, faith, gaming. Um, I believe, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, you homeschool, correct? That's right. And you can see the lockers behind me. <laughs> exactly. That's what reminded me. And it sort of goes to this question. Um, a lot of people who I know who homeschool, um, part of why they do that is because of faith. Um, do you think that there's a good market in terms of faith-based games and educational games and homeschooling? Uh, as not that you're like, hey, there's a good market. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, make games specifically to make money off of this particular contingent, but that they could use um, some product to help, and a game that is based on what they're already interested in might be something that would be a product that they would, you know, gravitate towards. Do you mm-hmm. think there's something there in terms of homeschooling, faith, games? Yeah, I think so. Well, we have a a very large homeschool convention in Cincinnati every year that we go to, and uh, it's getting bigger and bigger. And uh, there's more and more as the the last few years, more and more board games are showing up at that. And uh, I think that kind of speaks to maybe board games infiltrating everything. But um, also, really, I think homeschooling is kind of growing. And... uh, and not even that, but also using games in uh, other educational um, places, you know, just regular schools and things like that. Um, I think we're seeing more more of everything in that respect across the board. And but certainly, 
Um, certainly homeschoolers, I think, are, you know, if they're not into board games, they should be. I mean, because it's it's a natural fit. Um, it's a good way to interact with your kids and, you know, generate interest with specific um, uh, subject matter. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I see that I see that going the right direction. Mm -hmm. Patrick, you can speak to that as well if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. My uh, my wife homeschools our three uh, school age kids as well, so, and and we have uh, interacted with homeschool communities for a while. We were in the Kansas City area, and there's a pretty big homeschool convention that happened there. And we actually did that convention right before we launched the Kickstarter for a commission last year, and actually brought in quite a, a bunch of interest for the game uh, at the convention without even having the real game there to show and sell. So there certainly are, I, I echo everything that Phil said there, it's, it's absolutely true and um, in talking to homeschoolers I, a lot of them don't understand you know because board gaming while it's gaining ground is still kind of a subculture uh, and it and it is interesting to expose people to that to the options that are available for exploring you know like character development and fun and regular you know, mathy or spatial awareness kind of things that you can do with games. There's a lot of application uh, within education there. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, I'm going to jump back to this uh, this question of you know different themes and topics and how your belief systems influence that. Uh, Phil, you have uh, a game out called Skyway Robbery, and robbery being a, you know maybe a questionable topic. I, I'm curious if you want to. Talk a little bit about that, and then uh, maybe your upcoming game, and uh, okay. yeah, let us know a little bit about that. Okay, sure. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I guess this kind of kind of goes along with with some of the previous discussion about the witchcraft and all. And um, you know, my game Skyway Robbery. It is about robbing people and you know doing some nefarious sort of things. And uh, I can see where that would kind of maybe cause some people some. Uh, some concern. Um, the way I see it is, uh, you know, there's uh, there good stories always have good parts and bad parts. There's always um, you know heroes and villains, and that's that's kind of important to telling the story because um, we you know we all know that the villains are out there, and um, and so I mean that's I think that's that's what it is. It's just kind of a, another way of uh, storytelling. I mean, it's, it would be pretty silly to write a novel and not have any bad people in it. I mean, it'd be the most boring novel in the world. I mean, you read the Bible, and there's all kinds of bad things that go on in the Bible. Um, you know, there's all kinds of terrible things. Now, of course, the Bible's not trying to uh, lure us into doing some of those things, and um, and hopefully our games aren't either. Um, that being said, there are some times when maybe that line is crossed. I, I can think of this uh, this one game I heard about. I think it's called like maybe Serpent's Tongue or something, where you're actually trying to create these these um, like I don't know demonic kind of spells or something. Now I've never played that game, so maybe I I don't know exactly what it's all about. But when I heard the description of it, it sort of struck me as like well, I really don't want to play that game. I, that sounds like you know kind of crossing the line for me. But you know that's uh, that's kind of an individual choice. But um, my my newest game coming up, well, one of my newest games is um, will be uh, I guess on Kickstarter in a couple of months. It's called uh, right now. It's called Hitler Must Die. It's about assassinating oh, okay. Hitler, <laughs> and um, 
you know, that's uh, that seems like a pretty uh, pretty gritty sort of topic, and it, it absolutely is. Um, and uh, I think we might even we might change the name. We've kind of gone back and forth about that. the The alternative name is Black Orchestra, which is the name that the Gestapo gave to the um, the opposition for Hitler and the the conspiracy against him. And so in this game, it's a cooperative game, and you're all the uh, the German generals and officials and people like that, and um, the, you're slowly trying to plot your way into some figure out some way to to get rid of Hitler, and it's kind of moving you through the events of World War II as you're doing this, and eventually you get all the way to the end, and then the Gestapo is chasing you the whole time, and finally at the end, um, you know if you if you're not successful, then they're they're going to chase you down and and arrest you, and that'll be it. But um, but yeah, that's it's coming along really well. And I actually uh, included in this game uh, one of the characters is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you, if you haven't read Eric Metaxas's book on Bonhoeffer, you got to stop what you're doing and go get that book and read it because it is uh, downloading it to Kobo. <laughs> yeah, fascinating um, book and and life. Um, Very fascinating. This, this, Favorite authors, so. right? This this German uh, theologian here is suddenly thrust into this uh, confrontation with Hitler and the Nazis, standing for uh, Christianity and uh, for his faith, and and standing against all the persecution and all, and um, and then ultimately he he rationalizes and decides that you know this is it is right for me to to. Fight against him, and so he actually supported. You know, he became an advert agent, and so he yeah, very uh, strong advocate. He actually did, uh, you know, conspire against Hitler, and and was was found out, and then ultimately was uh, not to give the ending away, but was executed for it. <laughs> right at the end, it's very exciting tale, but very tragic, and um, but. Uh, you know, it's a very, very real sort of topic, and we're trying to treat it in a real sort of way, um, not not a com com comedy, you know, or anything like that. But we're trying to be respectful about it, and so um, yeah, that's that's what uh, what we're doing. I'm very excited about it. Very awesome. interesting. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing the uh, a couple of examples there, Philip, and uh, very excited to actually try both. I haven't actually got to play Skyway Robbery yet, so uh, <laughs> I have my, my copy at the Meeple Syrup Camp. I know. I forgot. I forgot to. I was sick for half of it, so whatever. I barely got to play games. I know. But going back to the Patrick and talking about games, actually, I'm curious. What games do you enjoy to play, and especially what games are inspiring you as a designer? That's a that's a great question. I think a lot of that depends on who I'm playing with. Like when I'm playing games with my son, we love Memoir 44. It's just a great sandbox to. To move, you know, he's seven, so moving, you know, tanks around on the board and shooting things is just a lot Talking of fun. Talking to the military guy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I also, uh, with my kids, uh, I have a couple of girls as well, and, and we play Mice and Mystics, and that's been a lot of fun uh, together. When I sit down to play a game with my wife and, uh, and other adult friends, we do uh, more into the worker placement kind of puzzly side. So we've been playing a lot of uh, Scoville or games like uh, Terra Mystica uh, lately. Uh, we actually got Belfort to the table a little while ago, introduced some of our friends to that, and that was a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we like. Oh, you got you to get Walled City to the table. So you got to try that out. 
<laughs> it's actually a great game. Like, there's no bias there for me. Daryl's totally <laughs> biased, but I'm not biased at all. It's a great game. Um, Patrick, let's think about um, when we're designing games, or when you and your wife are designing games. How do you think about you know designing morality into a game, and how do you think about teaching that? And would you, if you haven't, I haven't played your game yet, so I don't I don't know if there's any moral decisions in there. How does faith inform that, and how do you design that into a game? Well, There's a great couple of questions. Uh, first off, just to talk about commission. Commission focuses much more on the historical context as opposed to the, the Christian theology aspect. So you're collecting New Testament cards, and you're building your deck, which is a faith deck, but it's not necessarily telling you what to do or how to do it. Uh, you're solving the problem that the, the early church faced in terms of overcoming persecution and, and trying to you know reach out to geographic and, and other different populations. So uh, from the standpoint of commission, it doesn't really address uh, morality uh, as much. Uh, and I think that goes back to my earlier comment where we want to create games that recreate or explore some aspect of the Christian experience, whether it's historical or modern day, but in doing that, you don't want to tell the player how to think, because that makes people, one, it's not very fun, and two, it, uh, it definitely rubs people the wrong way when you imply that you have to do things a certain way. That's so you really create, you got to create an experience, but you have to give them the decision space within that experience to explore and work out for themselves what they think about what you're saying about a certain topic. So... Like, for example, we're working on a, a new design. It's a social deduction game about life in an underground church. And so you can end up either <laughs> for or against the church, and, and your loyalty may change back and forth as the game develops. Um, but, you know, you're exploring what are the influences that affect, you know, either your loyalty for the state or for the church, and we're not dictating to the player how to play it's you know determined by the interaction of cards between them and the people around the table, and that's a good example, I think, of how you can explore an idea without dictating how to think about it. I like that. I like that you're considering you know a, world, a whole world view there instead of just you know this is our view and that's what we want to hammer home. Um, so on, on that note, I mean, many of us have probably read Bruno Fedutti's. Uh, treaties on uh, Orientalism in board games and what his thoughts are on that. But, but something similar could be said about how we treat religion in board games and Beth Sobel is asking, how do you feel about games that treat non-Christian religions in a cavalier fashion, just kind of flip and it says window dressing or, or things like that? Do you think that's fair? Do you, would you get upset if somebody did that to a Christian theme? What's your thoughts? Uh, let's go to Phil with that one. Okay. Well, that's uh, that is kind of an interesting uh, question. Um, I'm not sure right off the top of my head exactly what some examples might be about that. Um, I guess well, you know, off the top of off the, the the top of my head, I would think you know you you always want to be respectful. I think of other people's uh, views and and thoughts and, and beliefs and all. Um, when you said, oh, is it, what about if it was just window dressing? Well, you know, sometimes our themes and board games are, are preciously thin, and, uh, 
you know, sometimes that's maybe a casualty of that. I, I don't know. Um, I, I can we can probably sit here and name quite a few games that uh, that use Christianity or any other religion as a window dressing just for okay, this is just what it is. This is just kind of the flavor of it. And maybe that's okay. I mean, maybe you don't have to teach, you know, preach a sermon every single time you play a game. Um, on the other hand, you don't want to just be putting down people just, just for the fun of it. Uh, and I will add that maybe there is also some room for some satire here, uh, both of uh, Christianity and other religions. Uh, sometimes we do need to kind of step back and kind of laugh at ourselves a little bit if we're being a little uptight sometimes. And uh, can I get your insights on that, Phil, before, uh, sorry, Patrick, before Daryl gets his question? I agree. I, I think uh, I personally, you know, believe that marrying theme up with mechanics is very important to the core uh, of a game. And so I, I generally prefer games where the theme and the mechanics are both explored and connected uh, very tightly. But there are a lot of games that don't. And that's not necessarily bad for those games. It's just not necessarily my preference. So um, I think the what you can get out of a game where the theme is window dressing is you can get a mistreatment of the theme. And I think there are many as many Christian games that mistreat you know the Christian theme uh, as there are other. And and I think you know that's a weakness of the game design. Um, and it's kind of a you know, uh, a misrepresentation of, of the, the care and the thought that should go into a game that covers that kind of subject. Cool. Yeah, great stuff. Um, I, man, time is fl flying by, but we got time for a few more questions, and I'm curious about this one. Um, the, I have found the, the gaming community incredibly inclusive, very kind, very, uh, out, you know, looking out for each other, um, and yet, also, on the flip side, sadly, a lot of uh, faith, uh, religious people um, have uh, had words like judgmental or, or, or you know, not inclusive, like language like that associated uh, poorly to, to uh, different faith backgrounds. And I'm curious, um, how do you see yourselves helping break that, that stereotype? And, and are you seeing... Um, you know that 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 stereotype is true in the gaming community, or are you finding that you know it's very inclusive of uh, you know different faiths? And um, yeah, how do you? What are some ways maybe that you're serving or helping um, you know be inclusive in the gaming community? I'll, I'll go to Phil on that. Okay. Well, I think maybe uh, the first thing that comes to me is. Um, you know, you just want to try to be kind of a genuine person to people. You want to be uh, nice and approachable, and uh, just on a, at a personal level, you know, when you talk to people. And I think it is a lot easier to be inclusive when you are face-to-face -face and you're just having a conversation. And um, I haven't had too many bad experiences, you know, in that sort of context. Uh, I think where we do have a lot of the problems is in, you know, online... Facebook chat kind of situations, Twitter, you know, flame war kind of things, and I think avoiding some of that is is a big deal, and uh, something that we could probably get better at uh, as a community. But um, I mean, <laughs> as far as addressing it with some kind of big, uh, you know, 
board game design that's going to make everybody uh, happy. No. And love each other. <laughs> I don't know that There's I have no to ultimate fix, that. but I'm just curious, uh, you know, in little ways, how how you're trying to, you know, uh, I'm going to pass this question to Patrick as well. How are you kind of using your your in as a designer, your in at, with board games to, to you know, uh, help, you know, be inclusive of people? I think there's kind of two categories uh, or subjects that you can explore with this. One is the industry side, and one is the individual side of gaming. Uh, and what we have found is that on the individual side of gaming, people are generally very, very friendly. Uh, even if they want nothing to do at all, during every convention, you know, we'll talk to somebody as they walk by the booth, and they'll say, nope, that's not what I'm interested in at all. And, you know, we'll say, okay, great, thanks, you know. Uh, and 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 move right on. I have very rarely had somebody actually come up to me and try to attack the idea of the game. Uh, I've actually had a lot of people say, "Well, this is not my thing, but I'll give it a shot." And by the end of the game, they realize it's actually a game. It's not a a sermon in a box. Uh, and and so that you know, we've had some good success there. On the industry side, I think there is a reticence to deal with anything that is uh, religious. And uh, my perspective on that comes from pitching commission to a bunch of different publishers who said, you know, this game is interesting mechanically, we like what you're doing here, but we'll just strip the theme and replace it with something like zombies because it's just right. not going to have the market appeal. Interesting. Uh, and, and so I think that is, you know, th there are some real, you know, kind of market considerations that are... Uh, affecting the industry side. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, do you find that uh, your games risk getting stripped down, and if you took the theme out of it, would it be the same game, or would you feel that the game would actually suffer from losing the, the, the religious faith-based theme? When you say that, uh, like if they just put zombies, whatever, or Martians or something on that game, would the game play the same, Patrick? But, you know, that's an interesting question that we've thought about, and, and ultimately our decision was, I think it could be done. You could retheme a game at you know in the very late game, but for us personally, it was so important throughout the entire process to marry those things up and to try to divorce the mechanics from the theme at the end would would cause a rupture at some level in the game. And you could probably work on it long enough to fix it, but then you're basically redesigning a whole new game. Uh, so at least for us, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, I we have a friend uh, who's part of the uh, GAC, part of the uh, Game Artisans of Canada, Paul Saxberg, who designed a game called Coven, which is obviously about witches and the Wiccan faith. And he's saying that some of the judges at one of the contests, the Canadian uh, Game Design Awards contest, just walked away from the game. They wouldn't even touch it. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Is, is, is that uh, is, would that happen, or would that offend you if somebody said, you know, I can't even look at your game because it's it's about Christianity and I am Muslim or, or whatever their faith might be. Philip, does that worry you? Well, I mean, everybody's entitled to their reaction to the game. I mean, it would make me, you know, I guess it may hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, uh, just, uh, 
you would think that people would, you know, you would want people to give you a chance, give you the benefit of the doubt. And like like uh, Patrick said, you know, when they tried his game, they thought, oh, this is, you know, this is really a game. This is kind of fun. This is something that maybe I am interested in that I didn't think I was interested in. And so, yeah, I think we need to try to encourage people to maybe step outside of their comfort zones a little bit and, um, you know, try something new. Okay, excellent. Uh, I think we're going to go to last questions now because we're running low on time. Yeah, so why don't, Sam, why don't you go first? Okay, so um, Patrick, let's ask you your last question. And we're going to, of course, frame it in the nature of today's theme, which is faith-based uh, and religion as a theme. If you were to, say, meet another person, say in your congregation or your church, that was interested in board game design, and they're really hard set on designing a game that has something to do with the Bible or the Christian faith, what advice would you give to them in order to be successful? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question, and, and we write a blog on our website uh, about this, so if you check out caragames.com, there's a button that says Behind the Joy, and it's got several different uh, small articles on this, uh, but basically it boils down to you need to take your concept and get it out as soon as you can and then play test it as hard and as long as you can before you get it out uh, to, to publishers because a lot of people don't spend enough time in the play testing and that's really where uh, a quality game is going to come out. That's the question. Uh, Daryl, you want to uh, ask questions to Phil and then get ready to wrap? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, along the similar vein, we've already asked you feel for advice to new designers. I'm curious instead to kind of flip it around. You're already working on some games. What themes or games that might be are within the religious or biblical framework, you know, uh, a theme, a time, a story, uh, a narrative, you would love to see turned into a board game? What do you think are some, some biblical narratives that you're still waiting to see that board game? Hmm. Ooh, that's that is a good question. I'm not sure I've ever thought about that too much. I mean, just a little bit uh, here and there. It's it's really tricky because you want to be careful um, because when you're dealing with the, the supernatural part, well, not supernatural part, but with with God, I guess. And um, you know, it's just such a such a big concept, and it's not like you just want to roll some dice and say that's what you know this happens or or something. Um, or you, and you don't want to you don't want to have a, a game like um, where you know the good guys are going to lose or something and I mean that doesn't that doesn't quite work either. Um, like I'm I'm always uncomfortable with with games about uh, you know Jesus going around and then the devil's trying to tempt him and oh you know it's like it's like I that doesn't even you know I just I just can't quite wrap my head around it enough to you know. To do something like that, I did at one point think about designing a game about kind of like the end times or something with some kind of like some kind of uh, I don't know tribulation kind of thing, but I, I could never quite figure out you know how to how to approach it in the right manner. Of course, that would be kind of weird um, anyway because there's you know a lot of different uh, thoughts about that, but you know it would be interesting. Um, but I'm sure there's, you know, you go back through, there's all kinds of battles. I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, 
uh, things like that. Um, like uh, Patrick mentioned, some kind of social kind of game with like a smaller sort of, you know, like some sort of political kind of situation or something like that. There's a lot of, of those type situations. Um, and of course there's lots of economic situations in the Bible as well. So um, I think you can kind of get around just the, the, the I guess, directly addressing the, the morality and kind of watching that kind of go sideways on you. Um, but I think you can still get into some of these themes, you know, through some of those more mundane sort of uh, connections. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank both uh, Philip and Patrick for taking the time uh, to chat with us and, you know, share from your perspectives, your experiences, uh, and we really appreciate the, the encouragement and the wisdom that you're sharing for, for our viewers. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what, what's that next game that comes out or, you know, from both of you and from uh, whoever's watching and see uh, who can tackle some really interesting uh, different religious themes and help us understand and, and uh, get to know each other a bit better and uh, learn from one another. So I, I appreciate that, but ultimately at the end of the day, I really want to experience great games uh, because that, that is a great piece of art, and I think that that is what we as designers really desire to do is make quality game experiences for people so that they can you know really enjoy and, and uh, experience the game. So... Uh, want to encourage people uh, to look up uh, both Phil and Patrick's games. You can find uh, Kingdom of Solomon probably at a few different game stores, Skyway Robbery, um, upcoming games from Philip. Keep an eye out in a couple months, I believe, is your Kickstarter. And then also Patrick, he's got commissioned, which will be hidden shelves, like, basically any day. So if you don't see it yet, request it at your game store. Um, and uh, that that's probably one of the best ways is just uh, ask at your game store, and hopefully they'll get it in soon. So uh, I want to thank uh, thank you, thank Sen for uh, humoring me with this uh, th thematic topic. I really appreciate it, buddy. And uh, uh, all the guests that were watching on YouTube, really great questions. I'm really uh, looking forward uh, to hearing uh, more discussion uh, over the week. And uh, for anyone that's interested, stay tuned for the after show where. Uh, Sen and I, I don't know if we'll be able to convince either of these guys to join us, but we'll uh, chat a little bit more and, and see uh, uh, see where the conversation may go. So thanks. I want to say keep making great games, and we look forward to playing your game soon. Thanks Good for night. having us. Good night. Good night.